It's Monday, July 26th, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is Yeri Jero, and welcome to Empire Jeopardy, the web's most popular game show. I'm your host and witness as the Empire winds itself up and just keeps unwinding. All three contestants are back from last week. He's an urban vertical farmer from battered Washington and winner of this year's Golden Trellis Award. Meet Jack Browndart. What's the Golden Trellis, Jack? Uh, it's the Oscar of vertical permaculture, Yeri. I won it for growing 380 pounds of Brussels sprouts up the elevator shaft of an abandoned factory. I brought some for you. Thanks a bushel, Jack. He was the commander of former intelligence at CINCOM Dreadcent AFPAC in Hintzville, Arkansas. But he's been picked to head the unmanned manpower center at the Drone Alone Air Force Base on Growler Island, Washington. Meet Colonel Buddha Braunschweig. Uh, that's quite a promotion they gave you, Colonel. Yeah, once I heard about my 3D PowerPoint, and had me. <laughs> she was a loan denier for Windjammer Gorgle in Jockey Shorts, Illinois, until they kicked her upstairs to run the whole loan denial division in their Tipping Point Washington headquarters. Meet Swindle. Lou Zimmer. Happy about the transfer, Swindaloo? Working for Windjammer Gorgol is the best life sentence in the business, Mr. Yarrow. Well, the rules are as simple as our returning contestants. Win two and we talk, lose two and you walk. Tie it up and we come back for more. Okay, here we go. Four out of every five. What is the percentage of packaged foods that contain empty calories? What is the percentage of civilians collateralized by a predator-launched Hellfire missile? Yeah. <laughs> What is the percentage of the unemployed turned away from every job opening? Right you are, Swindaloo. A lot of them sleep outside my office. Well, let's go again. They're invisible, hard to catch, and worth $100 billion. What's left of the salmon in Alaska? Who are all the wealthy deadbeats who walked on their mortgages? Who are the 100 Al-Qaeda bumps still operating in Afghanistan? Bingo, Butta! <laughs> you can't fight them, you can't drone them. So here we are, Swindaloo and Butta, we could talk. Okay. Jack, you're one wrong answer away from walking. Hey, don't sell my Birkenstock short, Yari. Here it is, last one. A clueless barfly with delusions of grandeur. Who is John Bomer? Right on, Swindaloo. It's John Bomer, the Sultan of Suntan. I speed dated him once. Five minutes was enough. And here's what you've won, Swindy. A million dollars worth of golden sacks of crap toxic derivatives. They're perfect for wallpapering your nest egg. A complete set of the president's heads in chocolate from the Franklin After Dinner Mint. Ooh, just in time for my book group. And an all-expenses-paid weekend on Louisiana's Gas War Island Resort. Slip into your Hawaiian hazmat halter top, order up a couple of 30-weight mojitos on us, and chill out. Talk about a private beach, Swindy. You're the only living thing within 10 miles. I guess I could take off my top. Uh, not yet. This is Yeri Jero, host of Empire Jeopardy, reminding you that everybody else is just a failed attempt at being us. Oh my, in the heat of the summer, you've got radio-free Oz in your ears. Or, to our dear friends below the equator, in the cold of the winter, you've got radio-free Oz in your ears. I'm Peter Bergman, your host, our co-host, David Oz. Gosh, I'm glad I'm not in the middle there. It really sounds uncomfortable. We're all in the middle now. Oh, I guess we are. Hey, I don't know whether you've heard about uh, the overturning of the Stolen Valor Act or not. The First, the overturning yes. of the Stolen Valor Act. I I think that it How sounds sad like, or happy? No, it sounds 
like a novel to it, me. It, it does. The it's overturning kind of, of the, you know, I don't know. Tearing her bodice as they overturn her there, or him. There yeah. we are. Well, it happened in Colorado. It all happens <laughs> in Colorado, Dave. <laughs> a judge in Denver, I mean, this isn't somewhere up in the mountains. A judge in Denver uh, ruled that a federal law, <laughs> the Stolen Valor Act, uh, uh, making it illegal to lie about being a war hero is unconstitutional. Sounds unconstitutional to me. Because it violates free speech. You guessed it. The ruling uh, made public a week or so ago came in the case of uh, Mr. Strandhoff, a Colorado man who claimed he was a former Marine. Doesn't say he was running for the Senate, although why not, you know? Yeah. Uh, he was. He claimed he was a former Marine, was wounded in Iraq, received the Purple Heart and the Silver Star. The military had no record that he had served, and he was charged with violating the, may have music, please, maestro, the Stolen Valor Act. So it's constitutional to lie about your war record. In fact, it isn't even a lie. You don't have a war record, so you're not lying about it. You're creating it, right? Absolutely. Oh, well, I, I, I it think- doesn't matter. You can fabulist it up any way you want. And here's the last line of this, because it's the I can't judge. Wait. Here it comes. Here comes the, the judge. judge dismissed the case saying the government had not shown that it has a compelling reason to restrict that type of statement. Absolutely. You know, I just t- today or this week, we're, we're, we've got the Daniel Ellsberg interview. Ooh. And he, I realized as I was talking with him, I thought I, I knew his biography. And all of a sudden I realized he was a Marine. He wasn't just a guy at the Rand Corporation flipping pages, figuring out that this doesn't work. He was on the ground, you know, as, as a Marine. And he said, you know, as a Marine, when I look at the whole thing happening in Afghanistan, I think of like putting 80 pounds on my back and with special scope sights and all that body armor, I can just feel their pain. Mm-hmm. So he ain't lying about nothing. And remember when uh, when this all started, you know, it was just some kids at Berkeley. Free speech. I seem to remember that. Free speech. Oh, that amendment to the constitution the gray lady about the new poor i mean this story brings back memories of the great depression not that i was born during or experienced the great depression but my parents were great depression people and they told me stories of it and it seems to be returning this systemic poor In what was beginning to feel like a previous life, 49-year-old Israel Valle had earned $18 an hour as an executive assistant to a designer at a prominent fashion label. Now he was jobless and struggling to find work. He decided to invest in upgrading his skills. It was February of 2009, and the city workforce center in downtown Brooklyn was jammed with hundreds of people hungry for paychecks. His caseworker urged him to take advantage of classes financed by the federal government, which had increased its money for job training. Upgrade your skills, she consulted, then she could arrange job interviews. Sounds good. This is, uh, you know, standard middle of the road, uh, get trained, get a new job thinking. And so for six weeks, Mr. Valle absorbed instruction, spreadsheets and word processing. He tinkered with his resume. But the interviews his caseworker eventually arranged were for low wage jobs and they were mobbed by desperate applicants, desperate applicants. More than a year later, Mr. Valle remains among the record 6.8 million Americans who have been officially jobless for six months or longer. He recently applied for welfare benefits. By no cause other than the fact that he is a victim, and I use that word accordingly, a victim of of structural unemployment. The market has been shattered, and there's no way using, you know, present nostrums to bring it back together. We need the new.
the New Deal. Training was fruitless, he said. I'm not seeing the benefits. Training for what? No one's hiring. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have enrolled in federally financed training programs in recent years only to remain out of work. That has intensified skepticism about training as a cure for unemployment. Mm -hmm. Even before the recession created the bleakest job market in more than a quarter century, quarter century, maybe half a century, job training was already producing disappointing results. A study conducted by the Labor Department tracking the experience of 160,000 laid-off workers in 12 states from mid-2003 to mid-2005, a time of economic expansion, boom, 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 everybody's working, found that those who went through training wound up earning little more than those who did not, even three or four years later. A lot of work, not a lot of result. In the last 18 months, the Obama administration has embraced more promising approaches to training focused on faster-growing areas like renewable energy and healthcare. but most money has been directed to the same sorts of programs that in past years have largely failed to steer laid-off workers towards new careers, say experts, and now the number of job openings is vastly outnumbered by the people who are out of work. It's such an ugly situation that job training can't solve it, said Ross Eisenberry, a job training expert at the Economic Policy Institute. When you have five people unemployed for every vacancy, you can train all the people you want, and unfortunately, only one-fifth of the people will get hired. Training doesn't create jobs. A lot of the training programs that we have in this country were designed for a kind of quick turnaround economy, as opposed to the entrenched structural challenges of today, said labor economist Carl E. Van Horn. It's like attacking a mountain with a toothpick. You take a policy that was designed for the best economy that we've had since World War II, and you lay it up against the economy that is the worst since World War II. It just can't work. And it's not working. We have got to take this huge problem, this this monster of unemployment. We have to take it seriously. Unfortunately, and and I feel for the Democrats on this. I mean, you know, when I when I worked in the Senate, I, I have a sense of of what honest everyday politicians are like, it's left, right, or center. And here are the Democrats who know that we're in crisis, and they have their colleagues across the aisle who are acting in any any way, but in, in a collegiate way, who basically, as Harry Reid and now Representative. Of Grayson have said, want the economy to fail. They not only want Obama to fail, they want the economy to fail. They want to go back to the bread line, so what? So that they can prove that the Democrats are responsible for this sucky economy, so we can elect the Republicans to do what? This is not only fatalistic, this is, I can't use the word un American because I don't like the word and I don't think it fits. I just think it's plain shitty.